You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. But uh, many in Eretz Yisrael um, feel that it's they, they, they grit their teeth over having to um, write these secular dates. In fact, um, the question is, are they really even secular dates at all? Ultimately, uh, is it really secular? Perhaps there's something different. As you can see, it's, uh, as I wrote in the blurb here, it's uh, taking us all back to Bethlehem in some way. Um, and you know, this was something that the postgum dealt with. And I, and I will say, uh, one of the psalms that I'm going to deal with today, uh, the psalm of Chochem Avadia, was uh, earned the Ritzi Yehuda, uh, was quite upset about it. And he felt that it, it shouldn't have been published because it sort of, Chochem Avadia, he felt, had the ability to stop the, uh, at least in Eretz Yisrael, and or maybe even communities outside Eretz Yisrael, to stop giving in to what he felt was this pressure of the non-Jewish world and what was behind it. So, in order to sort of give you the story, I, 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 I will admit to something that uh, Rebbe Lezer Tzvi uh, Waldenberg wrote. He said this question about writing these dates uh, and the problems that might be involved, and it doesn't develop, he says, until the 19th century, until reaction, a pushback comes to um, to... Jews that were becoming perhaps over-secular. And that's when the flag started being waved uh, against it. So here's Rav Waldenberg, and you can see it up here on the uh, on the screen. Okay, so he says it's even 300 years. Didn't see anyone say there's anything wrong with writing that date indicating on the letter that that was the date you're referring to, having such a calendar. In fact, he says that if we actually look at the Chubas Ramah, maybe we, I don't know if we have the actual manuscript, but we look at the Chubas Ramah, the Chubas Maram Padova, of course, Maram Padova was in Italy, but the Ramah wasn't, and we find that they actually write the, the, the secular date of the Chuba. They actually add within the, the tarikh of Mishnah's Priyasol, and they also add the secular date, meaning the Christian date. Um, it's only the achronim, and again, I, I guess I didn't do the, the research that uh, Rav Waldenberg did, but he says that it really comes out Migdole Ungalia in the last 200 years. And according to what they say, he says there seems to be a problem. Okay, so basically what we're dealing with is sort of, if it didn't show up from the Ramah and the Rami Padava, who were definitely aware and much closer to the terrible Christian persecutions, um, the Rav Waldenberg is sort of intimating that it's really this issue is more of a trumped-up issue that's not necessarily negative, but it's there really to resist a lot of what was happening in terms of the secularization and maybe even the Christianization and this idea of coming together as one big community. That's when this somehow, the flag was raised, that mentioning these dates and writing these dates and putting them into letters would be awesome. 
That is Ruf Waldenberg's uh, uh, opinion, based on the fact that he that he actually sees it not even being um, kept at all. And it's only, as he says, within uh, uh, a more recent time that this becomes an issue. All right. So then he tells us to look at the Maram Sheik. I knew about the Maram Sheik anyway, but I'm going to go, I'm actually going to start with the Maram Sheik because I think it's a beautiful tshuva. In general, the Maram Sheik's tshuva, again, he was the, considered the Talmud Muvak. Again, there are many who could call themselves uh, the Talmudim and the Chsam Sofer, uh, probably none more famous than, than the Chsam Sofer's son, uh, the Ksav Sofer, Rabbi Ram Yamin. But he was actually one of the, young, I think he was the youngest the child, youngest son of the Chsam Sofer. Um, and there was, I think, uh, Madame Sheik, I think Ramesh Sheik was older. And in many uh, areas was considered more the Paisek uh, of, of, of the door more than the Ksav Seifer was. They were both, Mr. Burr actually does not quote the Madame Sheik, I don't think at all, I don't remember ever, but he does quote the Ksav Seifer. So, again, it's hard to know who exactly is, is the heir in Hungary and beyond to the Psokim of the Ksav Seifer. He would definitely was uh, Ramesh Yosef. We're going to talk about him a little bit more as well today. His, uh, there was a, I sometimes get the feeling that the Maria Saad um, was in a way also the, the, the spiritual inheritor of the mantle of Psach Halacha in that, in that period. But it was definitely, it, it, these men, uh, Ram Sheik, Safsefer, Maria Saad, they represented a continuation of and maybe I, I, I hate using this term, even a hard lining of some of the ideas of some safer set down in terms of creating this common uh, shield against uh, any sort of assimilation. And especially since they were dealing with the very strong, the neologues and the reform movement and others. So here's the Chuva the Chsam, here's the Chuva the Marmshik, one of the frontline uh, defenders. Okay, so it's when he was in Chust, where he was, where he had a yeshiva, that's in Hungary. Um, and this was in, <laughs> I'm going to say it, right, 1879, I just said it, right? <laughs> okay, because if I would say Mites, for most of you, you're scratching your head. Okay, if I say 1879, all of a sudden I'm giving it a, a frame of reference. So the Maram Sheik is probably unhappy in the Ilma Emes that I just said 1879. <laughs> Okay, uh, I don't know if you're finding this amusing, but anyway. So there is, from this, this is from Rav Moshe Sapir, who was the Av Bezdin in, uh, in Homna. Uh, those of you who want to Google Homna, I guess it is some city in Hungary. I'm going to assume it is. Um, I, I didn't do my research on that. But anyway, here was the problem. He says, I got your letter. And it seems like there has been someone, and I would assume it would be a, a son or a, a, of a person who passed away, who put a matseva without getting the permission of the Gaboyim of the Heber Kedisha. And, and the matseva is written in, again, I'm not sure if it's Magar. <laughs> I would assume, again, I, I don't know enough about the area, but it was written in not maybe in English again. You know, we may be using uh, Arabic uh, or whatever, using the, 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 the those letters, but um, um, you know the, the Roman letters. But it was a uh, it was a uh, it was written in the non, in the non was not written in Lush Nakodesh. 
And also, the year, Prat Hashanah, was the year of the, of the person who passed away's death, was the year that the non-Jews use. And then he says here, Lahanoitzri, to the Notzri. Okay, so let's put it on the table here. The Notzri. The Notzri, of course, is Jesus. Okay, so what does it mean? It means that the year, when we talk about, and of course, all of you know what we mean here, when we say A.D., right? So, you know, you know, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Basically, the same thing is the same way in the ancient world. Calendars and documents that were based, you know, to determine what the date were, were based on the ascension of something very important. So in the Christian world, and again, we have to look up exactly when that occurred, there was an idea of accepting the calendar, that it begins with the uh, birth of Jesus. And that's the year of our Lord. The year of our Lord, meaning Anadamani, is the, is the, it changed the world. And therefore, it's a brand new counting. Like what was before is, 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 is a different world. This is the new world. So, your question, the Rav's question was, the Matseva has been put up there. Should we get rid of it? Can we leave it there? Maybe what we should do is cover it petit. In other words, maybe what we should do is, is, is plaster it over. Now, um, and, and specifically plaster over not just the, the, the lettering about the non-Hebrew lettering, but especially where it talks about the year, which is connected, of course, to Jesus. Another possibility is just throw the darn thing out. Throw it out. Now, that was the question. So the Marm Shik starts to answer. How, whoever it was, the children of that person, who were getting obviously more secular, who wanted, let's talk about why they would do this. They wanted to have something in their mind, from their perspective, you know, the, the, the date, the, maybe the birth date and the death date for their children and for them to be able to read and, and recognize. They obviously did it out of respect of the person who passed away. But they were clearly in the city of Homina, not, you know, their, the, the, they thought and their attitudes were definitely more secular and more connected to the greater Christian world. And that's the reason they wrote it there. Uh, they wrote it on the, on, they put, inscribed that on the, uh, on the, on the gravestone. However, he says, That's interesting what he's saying here, that a Beisachvaris is really a place that everybody has property rights. You know, you live in a city, you get a right to be buried. Now, again, it's a little bit different in terms today, in terms of buying a plot. And But let's assume, he assumed that in Homina, if you were part of the community, you got a, you had a certain right of when you died to be buried in that place. But everybody, in a way, is your neighbor. And we know that if you have a chotzer shutfen, if you have a, a housing complex where everybody is living together, Everyone has their own apartment. You can't put something there which you know the rest of the people are going to be upset about. So therefore, in a way, although the other other people who quote-unquote reside there are all dead, but it's a chotzer ashutvit. And you know, the, the Maram Sheikh is saying, that those other people that are buried there would not want to have something that would be negative something that would disturb them. 
Now, he might be referring to the living people. But I don't know. I don't think the living people, I don't think it's called a chutzar shutzan for the people who are not yet dead. He's saying it's a chutzar shutzan for the people who are who are buried there. And therefore, you know that they would have a kpeda. And, okay, the other th- problem, he says, and then he develops this, I'm sorry, he develops this and says that um, and, and when it comes to burying people, komes konamakomo. And that's your spot, and you can't put a Russia by a tzaddik. So he's going to build on this a little bit later when he talks about why it implies if, if the person buried to that person next to the person doesn't have, you know, obviously had a normal, what was considered the normal type of gravestone, and now it's here by a gravestone that is, you know, Christian, etc. So that is sort of a... Uh, that's, that, that that's implies something negative to the people buried around them. Because if this gravestone, which is sort of like the gravestone of a Russia, this Matseva is put up, this monument is, is the monument of a Russia, and it's sitting there next to everyone else, it's giving off the negative idea that everybody, <laughs> at least the ones right next to it, would be considered Rishoyim. So, um, he says, clearly, they need to, um, the Kabbalim have to get involved here and do something. Now, the next section here I thought was really uh, important, just because it shows you the, the way the Maran Shik, um, how inventive he was. Now, now other Matsevas are different. We know we're not supposed to do other sorts of monuments. But monuments for the dead have still remained something that have been uh, lionized and considered extremely important in our in our history. He put him at Sevel Kever Rochel. Now this is not an exact quote of the Pasik. Let me show you the Pasik inside. He doesn't quote the Pasik exactly, and um, Mark Shapiro and others have pointed out many times the post can have quote things in exact and many times the Gemara quotes things in exactly but he is referring to this pasuk, and I want to show it to you inside and here is the pasuk by Vayatsev Yaakov Matseva al Kvurasa okay this is Yaakov putting a Matseva on the place where she was buried which is interesting really should say al Kivra right the Matseva should go on her burial spot. al Kvurasa seems to be in addition to burying her. The Matseva is on top of the act of burying her. So this al Kvurasa is a little bit problematic. But what's even more problematic is he Matseves Kvuras Rochel Adayom. Right? What, what does that mean? I mean, the Torah wrote in Parshas uh, Vayishlach writing for all time. In other words, Moshe Rabbeinu writing it, and it meant to be stretching all the way to our time and beyond, that this is the Matzeves of Kvuras Rochel Adayom. Okay, Adayom, that's one interesting thing. But also the idea that it's called Matzeves Kvuras Rochel. I mean, Matzeves Kvuras Rochel? It's, 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 it's the Matzeva of Rochel, maybe. What's the Matzeva of Kvuras Rochel? Uh, you already said the Matseva is there. Why mention again Matsevas Kivuras Rochel? 
So the, those points, which are problems in Pshat, the Maram Sheik is going to give a drush about. And I think he believed in it, and I'm going to show it to you. Let's go back and see what he says. He says the following. He says, Obviously, Obviously, there was nothing else for them to speak, although they were other languages. But we know the Ovos, they spoke the, the language that the world was created in, Loshna Kodesh. And why is it called Matseva? Why is it called a Matseva? A Matseva, we know, means something that stands, something that's firm. Lakayim Bono Amuna, Milvad Hasharis Hanefesh. Meaning, we just don't believe, like others, that the soul uh, is immortal. The body is also something that, in a way, is immortal and will not, doesn't really devolve completely to nothingness. The body comes back. The body stands. And why does that happen? Why does the body is part of the which leads to the Olam Haba? This is the Kabbalistic approach, the mystical approach, the Maram Sheik, of course, believed in, didn't believe in the Rambam's approach. That there is some aspect of the body which now uh, is, is what allows the soul to inhabit that same body and to regenerate it in a whole new way. That's what Matseva means. And that's why it's called Kvuras Rochel. In other words, there's something here that's Nitzav. There's something here that is lasting. There's something here that will always be here. And it's here even though the rest of the body is buried and decomposing. Even the Kvuras is Nitzav. Matsevas Kvuras Rochel. Kvura, of course, implies the thing that you buried in there, what you put into the ground, the flesh of that body. But this is really a matseva. Putting that 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 stone there is is an indicator that what's here isn't going to just be the memory of that person to come here. But there's actually something significant that won't disintegrate. And that's what it says, Ad Hayom. That it's going to be here. It's 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 pulsing through today's time, and it's going to get through all the way to the end of history, because the Torah was written for all time. Ad Hayom, meaning even the last people who are looking at the Torah before the world to come, are seeing that those people, that Rochel Imenu, or anyone who is buried with the Matseva, that idea goes all the way till the end. So. Now, now he, he said, what does it mean? That's his drush pshat, slash pshat, on the Pesach. So now he says, Im al laz, oshar So if you write on the matseva, let's say the man's English name, let's say his name was Ignatz, right? And let's say you, you write in, English, in that language, in Hungarian, or whatever the language it was, uh, that language, so that's on a matseva. Having symbols of the golos, 
symbols of our exile and and how we've been influenced by that outside world and how this person lived in one sense with a foot in that world and the fact that his children even are in that world and need to read it and you're putting that on the matzeva that idea is a contradiction to what the idea of matzeva is the matzeva is there to be this eternal sign of something that gets us into the world to come now here he sort of mixes the world to come to the messianic world if we think about that world to come, let's talk about the messianic world, where, according to some, the Rambam included, and, and the Radvaz and others, that there will be Tchias Amesim for some during the time of the messianic age. But it's more than just there's going to be this miracle of people coming back to life. It's also going to be what we daven on on Rosh Hashanah, of course. Right? There's not going to be anything except the kingdom of God. And these other sort of powers and kings that are represented by the other nations and the languages that they speak, those are really going to be eliminated. All other power is going to be eliminated. Okay, this is a uh, sort of a um, euphemistic way of saying it. They're going to be shaken off of the planet, which means there's going to be uh, they're going to be killed. There's going to be a slaughter. There's going to be, they're going to be eliminated. We're going to finally not going to be connected to all these other uh, far-flung diasporas. We're going to be one nation. And we are going to speak again the Loshan HaTorah, HaKadosh HaTorah. We're not going to be speaking English then. We're all going to be, we're going to revert to speaking the language of Tanakh, the language of the Torah. And and we're all going to be believers, completely. We're going to be not only one nation, we're going to be the supreme nation on the planet. So how can you, if that's what the Matseva is about, the symbol of what will be, how could you write on the Matseva, how could you use a language which is an indicator of the opposite idea of what the Matseva is supposed to represent. That's not like what Yaakov did. And it's not like the minig of the end of the Matseva. That's going to be the world that we hope is coming. The world that will come, according to him, obviously, and, and I believe that too, of course. I don't know if I believe in exactly the way he describes it. But So that is a terrible busha to the dead, to the person who, is, who has died, to say that. Now, this little uh, section also indicates a very strong rebuke to the idea of assimilation, because it's, it, it happens, but it's a terrible necessary evil, or not even not a necessary evil, it's an evil that's occurring. And I think there's also an inference, and again, I I, I, I don't know if I'm 100% correct in this, but I think in the paragraph we just read, you also have a sense of how, you know, the the there's going to be a hegemony of, 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 of us, and the other nations are going to be really underneath us in a very major way, and including, obviously, all aspects of their religion and even of the secular aspect of their dates are going to be totally thrown out. 
So having the secular date, he of course knew, he wasn't such a kanoi, and you'll see in a minute, that he has this halachic statement, but he knew that the people weren't necessarily Christians who had written this, and it's not that they wanted to throw away their Judaism, but what they were sort of admitting was how Judaism had become um, weakened and watered down. And what he is pushing is the idea of how we have to look at what our future is and what we should still feel ourselves to be. And the Matseva should be reminding us of that. So this is, and, and, and how he, and again, I think there's a triumphalism of what's going to be in the future. There's going to be a complete dismissal of anything significant from, from their world. And that's what he says. And that's part of the reason why you can see how this, this really upsets him, that this has inserted itself into the community. The next piece of the Maram Sheikh is a tremendous Kiddush in, 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 in Psaq Halacha. The first one, I think, is really Drush, with a certain philosophy of what the Maram Sheikh is about. The second one, I think, is a, is a Kiddush in Psaq Halacha. Let's read it. He says, okay, well, actually, first, this is, again, more Drush about the fact that, well, I'm going to read some of it as well because there's a little bit of halacha here in Minog. He says, obviously, you know, the Pasuk says in Yeshaya that when people have Tchiyas HaMesim, m- many of them will arise and, and have eternal life. But others will basically arise and have Cherpa, um, Dira'on, this just embarrassing type of existence that's going to bring them into some sort of uh, Gehenna. He says, that's why the Minog of Bnei Yisrael is always to write, Tiyanav Shotzura Vitzura Chayim. But not just tough nun tzadi bezei, with the words lachiosim kol meseamcha yisrael. In other words, the neshama goes into this turachim, this ganeiden, but it's going to result in a tchias hamesim where the body will come back with all the other people who will be brought back to life. Even though he says many people do not write lachiosim kol meseamcha yisrael, everyone knows that's what it refers to. But the new custom of just writing in other languages, uh, they don't write rest in peace, they write R.I.P. Um, they don't say, so if you don't write that, so those are the people who maybe don't really get and now the Krovin, now maybe not the sons or the daughters who paid for the Matseva but the other relatives the cousins and the others of this person here in Hamana who died in Hamana, uh, they are, they obviously need to be uh, motivated to rip this, to get, to get rid of this Matzeva. And the rest of the Bnei Yisrael, even people who aren't technically related, they have a chi of Natim Mavaza the Mace, and there's, a, there's an inherent bazillion Mace for him to be lying there with this. Uh, I'm going to say English, but Hungarian, whatever it is, uh, words with these dates on it. So therefore, the same way I can't let a mace lie open, I have to bury that mace to 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 respect that mace. And here he uses a little bit of a pun. Shem laz, of course, is the Talmudic term for um, like some sort of rumor or gossip. 
And of course, here, Laz is, again, the, the, the Rashi Tevis of Loshan Amzor, of using a foreign language. So that's like a, a Motsi Laz. And also, it's Laz and the ones that are buried next to it. Because if, if this indicates the Mesa is a Rosha, then the ones next to it would be by um, being close to that body, also a Rosha. And then he says, look, when it comes to these customs of burial customs, there's a tradition not to change anything. We don't change the type of uh, shrouds or anything else. Everybody gets the same. So therefore, the idea of changing something in general, it's not just the idea of Chodesh Osir Torah that the Chsam Sofer um, articulated and was used and developed. In general, when it comes to the Beis HaKvaros, all the funeral customs, those are things which have to be sacrosanct. Those are things which can't change. That's always been that way. And he's totally correct about that. And you'll see Postkim that in many places they'll tell you that they, um, look, it might not be correct, but if this is the Minag, we follow the Gaboyim of the Hebrew Kedisha. Then he gets into the part which I said is a Chiddush and Halacha. He says, the fact that they wrote, let's say the year, so let's say it was 1878. The fact that they wrote that year, like people are doing in, right? It's Avera Kafula Mechupelis. First of all, let's talk about, he says, let's say it was the day, let's say it was May 1878. So let's say they wrote five, however they wrote it, with a five, Let's say the date of the the, the day of the uh, of that month. Let's say the tenth. So it was May tenth, eighteen seventy eight. They wrote five ten. Writing the number five, as far as the month goes, that's not the way we count months. Now here the Maram Sheikh is referring to, of course, the pasuk in Parshas Bo, which is So now we have another issue. He's going to talk more about the year, but the Maram Sheikh is also bringing up the problem of using the number of the month. So, for example, many of you are going, if you're going to write a letter tomorrow, you might write 1-1-2021. Maybe you're going to do that. That one is a problem because that's not supposed to be our first month. Writing one is sort of a, a contradiction to the mitzvah of which is, and you're sort of saying, this is month number one. So that's a, he has a problem even with the numbers. Now, I, I don't know if I have time to get into it, but there happens to be a, a whole issue with the, I'm going to call the, um, the, 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 the more machmirim in writing dates, whether it's better to sort of write the, day, the, 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 the numbers or is it better to write the, the name of the month? Um, Rav Tzvi Yehuda felt uh, that it, it would, if you're forced to do it, even though he's really against it, that the, uh, the, the names of the month are less of a problem because you're not saying that this is your first or second month. Uh, the Tzitzeliezer had, had a problem with that because he said that those names are, as we know, January and Janus, the uh, the um, the god, the two faced god, and many of the other things are are also connected to some sort of uh, avodah zara, right? 
So some say, and uh, the Tzitzel says what maybe should be done is instead of writing January, you write Yud Nun with a streich or Yud Nun Aleph with a little streich indicating that. That's better than writing the number one. Okay, so that's the Maram Shik is I think the first one to bring up this issue of writing the using the numbers of the month. But then he says the year is terrible. But that might be an Isser Daraisa. Now, why is it an Isser Daraisa? So that's based on this. The Pasuk says in Parshat Mishpatim, Cholashar Marti Aleichem Tishameru, V'Sheimel Himacher Melo Taskiru. Okay. What does that mean? Now, Lo Yishama Al Picha. It shouldn't be. Now, all these Lashonos, as you can see, are for someone else. Lo Taskiru, it should not be uttered the name of these other gods. It shouldn't be heard or caused to be heard al-picha. If you look at Rashi, Rashi says, lo yishama min al-picha. You can't cause others to utter the name of another god. What does that mean? How did I cause you to utter the name of God? Well, shalota aser agoy. If I have a partnership, don't make partners with Goyim because partnership always leads to uh, difficult um, types of uh, debates and issues between the partners. And he is going to swear that he didn't uh, uh, steal some of the stuff from, from the kitty. He didn't take some of the extra funds. And he's going to swear in an av- his avodazara. Nimtsas ata goreim shetaskir al yadecha. Okay, so that's a law. Now that could be from Rashi. You get the impression that's from the Torah, that that's what this law is. You can't have this connections with the non-Jews, which are going to cause them, because of your partnership and because listen, you have a right to to demand where is the money. You're going to cause him to mention his avodah zarah. His avodah zarah should not be mentioned through you. So it, the reason I'm going into this is because you really don't do much, but your actions cause a chain reaction to happen. What you do with this act of partnership and everybody's happy can lead to something else of the Avodah being mentioned. Now, obviously, you know, when we talk about this, um, you know, mentioning his avodazara, he's swearing by his God, which is a little bit different than just mentioning a name or an idea. He's actually going to go into to, to court, and he's going to uh, swear by his God, and he's going to it's going to shore up his belief, and he's going to um, be mafarsim to make very public his belief in that God to back up what his words are. That's a little bit different than getting him to mention his Avodah Zorah. All right. The other thing that Rashi quotes is on Lo Taskiru. What does Taskiru mean? Shalom Yomar Adam Lechavero Shemorli Bitzad Avodah Zorah Plonis. Hmm. I'm talking to a Jewish friend of mine. And I say, where are we going to meet? Well, you know what? Let's meet by, let's meet by that Avodah Zorah. Okay, um, 
or what day are we doing it? Biyom Avodazara Ploni. Now the other guy's not an Avodazara, Nick, and neither are you. But it's just convenient for you to mention that. So those it's still usher to do that. Okay, that's the Pasik with, with Chazal, essentially. Okay. Now, here, let's take a look and see what the Maram Shik does with that Pasik. He says It says Taskiru. Taskiru means even though you're not actually mentioning it. Hmm. Now, you remember what Rashi said about Taskiru? The Taskiru means, you know, you say, wait for me there. But Ramshik wants to say Taskiru means it shouldn't even be in your mind what's behind it, which is the Avodazara. You can't say something which causes a throwback thought to the Avodah That is the Chiddush of the Maram Shik, and he calls it an Yisr Daraisa. So if I say, I'll meet you by the church, obviously I just want us to meet there so we can, you know, carpool together. But that, in a way, generated in your mind the church. The same thing would be if I write something which somehow plants within your mind when you look at it, the idea of Avodah that's also Aser. And therefore, someone who uses the year 1868, he's over that is, sir, of Now he says, Nehi, the Taskiru, Hainu, It could be, now in Halacha, it was already dealt with. What, the Pasuk is really talking about causing the Goy to make a Shvua. If you take a look in, in, in the Sefer, in the Sefer Achinuch, when he talks about this Avera, he says, that you shouldn't have swearing done in a court in the highest level where Avodah is mentioned. That is the that is the the, the, the mitzvah, the way the, the in terms of how it's described. However, if you take a look at the 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 shorish mitzvah in the Sefer Achinuch, kol inyan Avodah Zara bein bein bedibur. Okay. We shouldn't be thinking about it at all. Any sort of avodazara should not be thought about in any way. So, based on this, the Sherish Mitzvah, the Maram Shik says, so writing 1868, when you look at that, generates a zikharon of the birth of Jesus, which is avodazara. Again, because Maram Sheikh wasn't afraid of following the what the Rambam and others wrote, despite the fact that you know many other uh, European Rabbonim and everything sort of like covered this up, but there was definitely this belief that 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 Christianity was Avodazara, and the belief in Jesus was an example of Avodazara, and therefore mentioning that uh, causes the zikaron to happen. Now I have to tell you, the Maram Sheikh, in my mind although he has a good point from the Shorish, let me just read you something from the Sefer HaChinuch earlier. He says, okay, the simple love of this is causing someone to swear in Avodah Zorah. Yesh Mepharshim, that the love is basically about having business with a guy, And not that he's going to swear in Avodah Zorah, 
but that the business that you deal with them as a partner or just the fact of, of, of going to his store, because you know how excited he is about his God, is going to make him go and uh, praise his God somewhere. So he's going to go and do Avodah so to speak, praising him for the great deal that he had by charging the Jew, whatever it was. Now, that's another pshat in what this mitzvah is, because you, by doing business with the Goy, are strengthening the Goy's belief in Avodah Zarah. Because they also should not be doing Avodah Zarah. And then he says, That's not from the Torah, according to the Sefer Achinuch. There's also a Derabbanon who decided, you know what, since you see how the Torah doesn't want this to happen, we're going to tell people in their normal uh, conversations not to talk that way and not say, wait for me by the church. But that's only a Derabbanon. So what's interesting, you're going to see in the Maram Sheikh do, he says this is an Isser Daraisa based on the Tom of the Mitzvah. Since the Tom of the Mitzvah is not to have it in your Zikaron, Lo Taskiru, you shouldn't do anything that somehow is a throwback to this idea that causes people to think about that. So therefore, um, it, 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 it's an Isser from the Torah. What's interesting is, is that if you look in the first paragraph of the Sefer HaChinuch, you already see that he views, even though you know you look at Rashi, you might think it's from the Torah itself, Lo Taskiru. The Sefer HaChinuch says clearly it's only rabbinical. So uh, that I think is a problem with with with, with where the with um, what the Maram Sheikh is going to do. He also takes note, and this shows you the the uh, for those of you that love the Sefer how the, the Minchas Chinuch, which was only printed in 1869. So it became a bestseller. And the Maram Shik, who was, you know, was, was familiar with it. And he says, even though the Minchas Chinuch writes, and I don't, I don't have time really to go into it, but if you could take a look, I'll show you, um, that lo, the Minchas Chinuch, as usual, clears a shayla. What about if you write if you if you're if you if you're a Goyesha partner, you make him sign a statement uh, to to swear, and he's supposed to sign the statement that he swears to, and he writes there the name of his Avodazara. Is that Osir? The same way making him say the Avodazara is Osir, how about if he has to write uh, and, 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 and 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 put a document, an affidavit, where he writes the name of a vote. Would that also be also? So the Sefer HaChinuch basically says that Lo Taskiru would include, he believes, um, uh, it, would, it would be speech and writing. So he says, even though the Minchus HaChinuch says that it's only, um, um, that it has to be and that's not what's happening here. You just, again, you wrote 1868, but you didn't cause anyone to write or to speak out that date. But he says, since that date, 1868, causes anyone to look at it, to think what 1868 means, go with the rationale of the Chinuch, the Shorish of the Chinuch, that you're not even supposed to think it at all. And therefore, that's Osir, because it's it's therefore in your memory bank when you see 1868 that 
that was when the world changed with the birth of Jesus. So that is a Chiddush and Halacha, that um, the later post can try to deal with. Uh, Rav Waldenberg and Chochamavadia both believe, despite the great respect they had for the Maram Sheikh, that this would not be a problem. Um, now, in terms of, and, and really this is very fascinating what, what Chochem Avadi does, and I know I, I wanted to try to pack everything in here and not go over. The first thing Chochem Avadi does is he becomes a historian when he deals with this question about writing uh, secular dates or Christian dates. And it's really very perplexing to me why he's doing this. But he spends this whole first long paragraph showing that according to Chazal, Jesus Yeshua Notsri, the one that went off the derech, the one that was the student of Yeshua ben Prachia, was not, could not have died in the year or been born in the year that the Christians say he was. And that, um, you know, that the, 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 those, that, the, the dating of the Christian calendar does not jive with Chazal's placement of Jesus, of Yeshua. And therefore, it's not the date of Jesus' birth. Or death, whatever, whatever, whatever you want to say the date is. It's not connected to the real Jesus. The real Yeshu, the Yeshu, Yemach Shemo, the one that was the, this terrible one, that was the one who was lived a hundred years before that, in the time of Yeshua ben Prachia. And therefore, this is all a mistake. Okay, as he says over here. And he brings, and again, he brings the, the other opinions that there might have been two. And again, anyway, he says the he says the goyim think Jesus was the one who was born in the time of Herod, but that's not true. Chazal know who Yeshu was, and that was before the time of Hordus. So therefore, um, he says we have a Mesorus Emes. And we never made any mistakes, Chazal. And from the Rishonim, that Yeshua ben Prachia went ran away to Mitzrayim, and he took this terrible Yeshu with him. And he quotes here the Barbanel and others uh, to back that up, according to, and, and other Rishonim. He says the Christians say he died forty-two years before the Horbit. and therefore. He quotes Yom to flip the Melhausen, some of the Bikuchim that were done in the late Middle Ages. He says there weren't two Jesuses. So, therefore, he says that it's wrong. He says, and even though he says, I saw the, the, the secular Jewish historians. And again, he's talking about Eisenstein, who's not really a secular person. He was basically a from person, Eisenstein, in the Eitzri Yisrael. Um, and he says that um, even the secular uh, ones say that uh, who that uh, Yeshua Notri was actually born four years before the actual date. So therefore, it's not really the birth of Jesus. It's not really Jesus' birthday. 
or the, the year that he was born. And he brings from Otsu Yisrael in three or four places. So, therefore, it's not Bechuko Seyem. Um, the reason a person writes that is because that's what everybody uses, that date all over the world. Okay, and it became the this dominant date, but that's the only reason why you're writing that date. There's no Isser. And you can't say that it's somehow connected um, to the Avodah Zarah because it's not true. The date, that number doesn't really connect to Jesus' birth. And people who think that are making a mistake. Now, this is such a, <laughs> a mountain of facts that really aren't really relevant. Yes, maybe historically, whatever, he was born in a different time. And it's, it doesn't jive. But that's what they mean. Whether it's actually the time he was born or not really is inessential. It really surprises me that Chacham Avadia spends so much time, right? he's so happy with his research and he spends so much time making this point. It's obviously that it doesn't make a difference. They might have been made a mistake, but that's what they mean. So that's what he goes on to the next statement. He says, even if you want to say that that's what they mean, and anyone who writes it is somehow affected by... um is somehow affected by uh, what the uh, Christians believe, well, then the Chochem here quotes the famous tshuva of the Marie Cologne, that Bechukoseim is only in two things. One is that you're doing something which has no rationale whatsoever. It must be steeped in some uh, terrible um, Avodah practice that we just don't know about. But if people are still doing it, you shouldn't be following that path. Adavr She'en Botam. Uh, the second thing is, it might not be Avodah Zorah, but Bechukoseim is, it clearly leads to a lewd, um, uh, untoward type of life. So he says, no one can say that that's called Bechukoseim, writing uh, the secular date. Because you're only doing it because you want people to know what date you're talking about, and you're writing to a non-Jew or to a Jew who isn't versed, and, and, and this is his frame of reference. So it's definitely not Bechuk Um And he gives a little dig here to the son of Rav Chaim Falagia. Chaim Falagia was one of the great uh, Sephardi poskim of the, of the 19th century. His son was, wrote the Sefer Yofel Alev, who said it's Bechuk to write the, uh, the secular Christian date. He says, no, he's wrong. And even though uh, Rav Chaim Falagia's son quoted a psikta, because it says, It says by Bilbam, right? We're not with the with the Goyim. And, and the Chazal say, we don't have the cheshbon of the Goyim. Chachamai says, that's not what it means. That, that's not, it's not that we can't use their dates. That's not what it means. He says, it's not even a zeichel ledover. He's wrong. It's not b'chukosayim. Okay, what about the Maram Shik? And he calls the Maram Shik the great Gaon. What about that? So, Chochem Avadia has a very big dochek to explain the Maram Shik. Well, one second, I'm sorry. Um, he says, no, the dochek of the Maram Shik, I just want to say in a minute, uh, it was done by Rav Waldenberg. Rav Waldenberg had big cover of the Maram Shik, and he says, the only reason the Maram Shik had a problem is because you wrote, after the word 1868, you wrote, Lesfira Sanotra, or you wrote, 
a, uh, a uh, you wrote AD or something like that. But if you don't write AD or you don't write Lamid Samach Pei Hei Nun with Sfiras Anotzrim, you're not over. That is Rav Waldenberg's take on um, the Marmashik. It's wrong. I mean, Kleidim Kleim Munach. I think he was forced to say because he didn't want to be Docha the Marmashik Me'alocha. But that's not what the Marmashik means. Chacham argument, the Marmashik, I think is also very weak. Look what he says. He says, I know the Marmashik says that once you write that, it's, it puts into your memory bank the idea of, of Jesus' birth. But, according to Chazal, that is the ultimate truth. So therefore, it's not Elohim Acherim. Jesus might be Elohim Acherim, but since the date isn't true, because he's proven that, so therefore it's not really connected. Once again, these two and a half lines, to me, I, I, I can't comprehend what Chalcom was getting at here. Okay, <laughs> it's not true, but you know that that's why this has become the date. And you know what that year is supposed to mean. The fact that it doesn't align properly, it, it's almost, to me, it's, it's, I can't even believe he's using this as, as his first major point against the Maram Shik. Then he mentions the Rishonim who say Elohim is only the names of actual gods. Whereas the Sefirayim says, let's say St. Paul or St. Benedict, those aren't really names of gods. Or even if some of the, um, you know, some of the, 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 the names of gods have, uh, have become, uh, standard names that people use, that's not called Elohim Acherim. I don't know if people call themselves Zeus or I don't know if whatever, maybe Aphrodite. I don't know exactly. So if they already become common names for people, that's not called Elohim Acherim. So he wants to use that uh, to knock out uh, the Elohim Acherim. Um, I want to end with one interesting thing here that he mentions that um, he, has, he says, I, I definitely agree with the Maram Sheikh that you really shouldn't put those dates on uh, on the um, Matsevos. He says, when I lived in Mitzrayim, Chacham says they actually did write those dates. We know he was the Rav in, in, in Fostat and in, in Cairo. He says they did that. It wasn't the right thing to do, but it's not Osir. It's not a good thing to do, but it's definitely not something that's Osir. Um, and here I thought it was very fascinating. He says, the proof that it's not Osir is that almost everybody uses, like right now it's 2.15. Well, at least according to my computer. We all use the European clock. Now, what does that mean? Let's say, well, 2.15 of course from in the afternoon. But let's say it wouldn't be, I think in, 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 in Israel... They don't call it 2.15, right? In Israel, they call it now 14.15, right? I'm not mistaken, right? It'd be 14.15. Why is that called 14.15, this European clock that's used all over Eretz Israel? Because it starts from when? From Chatzos, from midnight. Where did it come from, Chacham Avadya says, to start the day at midnight? That is all... And this research, I, I guess I should have known this, is based on the idea that Jesus was born at midnight. Somehow Jesus in Bethlehem was born. I don't know if that's what it says in the, in, in, in the New Testament or not, or in, the, in their Bible or not. But the whole idea of, 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 of starting the day at midnight 
can be tethered back to this Christian idea that midnight things change because that's when the birth occurs. And nobody ever said, oh, you're saying it's a, what time is it? It's 14, 15? Oh, it's 14 hours since midnight and midnight goes back to the birth of Jesus, the first birth. And that's where you have the first day of the year and the first calendar day of the year is based on that day. Nobody ever thought of that. So from there, he says, clearly there, that would not be a, 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 an issue at all. Just to end with the fact that, as you can see, why Tzvi Yehuda was very upset about this tshuva. He felt Chacham should not have published it. And he says, especially in Eretz Yisrael, he says, we need to do, to, to buttress ourselves and to fight things off. And, and again, I will give credit to, obviously, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago when I gave a share about this at night, that I think in all Israeli documents, official documents, they all use the 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 calendar date of of what we know Mishnas Brias Ola. Now, some of you might ask, what about the fact that they use these names of 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 months that are connected to Avodazar and other things like that? So the Ramban already answers that and says that when we use these months, like for example, we say Tammuz, which we got from Bovil, or um, I assume right now we're in Tavis. So it's probably also from some sort of a Babylonian Avodah even though it's technically an Avodah but it also indicates that we left that place, the Ramban says, and that God brought us out from Bovel. And we are still, in a way, in a process of Geula. So even though we are supposed to always own up to this as we're counting from Nisan, even Nisan, which is this Babylonian name, is an indicator that the this is the Ramban Skiddish, that the process of Geula occurs even within these secular names, even using them. So I would say, although I might be totally off the base now, that one could maybe apply that, although you, you need to have big shoulders, to even when we mention these other name, or these other dates, and if not dates, but at least these names of the months, it's it somehow stems from our history, and that we are still pushing forward through that. Now, again, obviously, if you mention both, is clearly the best. Uh, or mention, and if you can get away with mentioning one, uh, you know, even Chacham says that's the best thing you can do. But sometimes, as the Ramban says, even mentioning those months that we picked up on the uh, in history, and you write that in a Dvar Torah, in an email that's significant, uh, that you're trying to say something significant in Torah and learning, in a way, I think what you're trying to show is that Torah actually pushes its way through that, despite all the, uh, it does, even if, if you want to admit that in some way it, it harkens back to something uh, Christian, something oppressive, something that is part of that world of Golis, but I think the, the power of what you do within that, uh, the, the significant strength of Torah and ideas that even though it has that lavush, just like the Ramban says, it indicates that Geula is an ongoing uh, process. I think this too uh, is part of that ongoing process. So if I invite you, you know, on the December 31st year, and it's all about Divrei Torah, I think that in a way we've sort of elevated and we've sort of pushed through and said that we will come to that period, maybe not exactly the Maram Sheik describes it, but despite all the things that have accumulated on the way. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.